0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for First Christian Church of Warsaw, Indiana. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Please visit us at FCCWarsaw.com to learn more about our church or to make plans to be with us on a Sunday morning. Again, that's FCCWarsaw.com. That it's irrelevant. Just because something's old doesn't necessarily mean that it's irrelevant. Let me give you a few examples here of some things that are ancient but are still pretty relevant today. Uh, One example, how about gravity? Right? Pretty old, pretty relevant, pretty thankful for it. I don't know if you've seen that George Clooney and Sandra Bullock movie where they're like floating around in space. I'm really thankful for gravity, it keeps me down here on Earth. Water, same thing, pretty ancient, pretty relevant. But how about something as simple as like a mint? The ancient Egyptians were the first to boil mixtures of herbs and spices with a little honey to make chewable pellets that would freshen the breath, and we still use them today. I used one a little bit ago, even this morning. Uh, Maps, from being written on walls of caves to appearing today on smartphones, pretty handy things that help us understand our surroundings and how to navigate where we live. Uh, Concrete. Concrete was something that the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans made extensive use of in building structures. You can still travel over to their ancient lands today, see things still standing that they made out of concrete. We're still using concrete today. And how about paper? Paper was something that the ancient Chinese were the first to like make out of pulp of wood fibers and water and then dry it out. We may not read as much from books made of paper as at one point we do a lot of things digitally, but probably not a day goes by that you're not using a paper product of some kind. So just because something's old doesn't mean that it's necessarily irrelevant. But there is a line of thinking that assumes that if something is ancient, that it can't really be relevant anymore. And this is especially true with things like lifestyle choices and moral teachings. Some people are quick to call things old-fashioned, out-of-date, or out-of-step with the times. So last week, we started learning about this guy named Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet of God who lived at a time when God's people thought that God's word was antiquated and out-of-date. Jeremiah's closest neighbors, those that lived around him in Jerusalem and Judah, they seemed to live by a mantra that went something like this. Hey, this is 600 B.C. Why should we be paying attention to teachings from 800 years ago? That's ancient history. We are so much more advanced than those people were. They don't know as much about life in the world as we do now, but they followed that kind of thinking to their own detriment. The nation of Judah was deteriorating morally, politically, economically, spiritually, and already their brothers and sisters to the north of them, up in the nation of Israel, they'd been conquered, they'd been led into captivity because of God's judgment on their disobedience, and yet to Jeremiah's peers in Jerusalem and Judah, God's word was something that was deemed offensive when it was heard. It was truly a cancel culture where people who spoke things that were deemed to be objectionable were promptly silenced. But it was into that environment that God took the initiative into young Jeremiah's life. A guy that, like we talked about last week, probably in his teens or his early 20s. And God came to Jeremiah and he spoke to him and he said, Jeremiah, I've chosen you. I've set you apart. I've appointed you to speak my words into this society in which you you live. So we also live at a time when God's word is becoming offensive, and some who disagree with it seek to cancel the voices of those speaking it. But the good news for us today is that God takes these same initiatives in our lives as he did in Jeremiah's life. We talked about this last week. God's taken the initiative to prepare me to live in the times that I do and in the place that I do. I've been sent here by God. That's the promise we can live with as we live in a culture that some people would call a cancel culture. So, Jeremiah, in his cancel culture, he accepts God's call to be that kind of sent person, recognizing that God took the initiative to prepare him to live in the times that he did, in the place that he did, and to be sent there by God. So, Jeremiah begins to preach. He starts calling out the people's sin, their disobedience, their idolatry, their unfaithfulness. He warns of coming disaster. Hey, guys, it's going to be just like it was up north in Israel unless we change, unless we follow God's plan. And it sort of culminates in this famous sermon that Jeremiah gives. It's recorded for us in chapter 7 of Jeremiah, sometimes called his temple sermon because he gave it apparently right there in the temple courts in Jerusalem. And I I want to pull just a portion out of this and we'll build on this a little bit this morning. So Jeremiah chapter 7 is where we're going to begin this morning. If you want to open your Bible or your device to that where you can read the Bible, I just want to read to you here verses 20 through 24 of Jeremiah 7. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. This is Jeremiah preaching these words. God says, look, my anger, my burning wrath is about to be poured out on this place, on people and animals, on tree of the field, and on the produce of the land. My wrath will burn and not be quenched. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices And eat the meat yourselves, for when I brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak with them or command them concerning burnt offering or sacrifice. However, I did give them this command, obey me, and then I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. Follow every way I command so that it may go well with you. Yet they didn't listen or pay attention, but followed their own advice and their own stubborn evil heart. They went backward and not forward. So that, that last line there is sort of God's diagnosis on his people. And let's read that last line together here as it comes up on the, on the screen. Just that one line there. Uh, it's the last one up on the screen right now. They went backward, not forward. All right, so that's God's diagnosis of the people of Judah, Jerusalem and Judah in Jeremiah's day. For all the advancements this nation had thought they had made over the past 800 years since being delivered from slavery, they were actually going the wrong way. They were going backward, not forward. Maybe you can relate to something like this in your own life. Uh, Maybe you started a diet at one time and you ended up weighing more after you started the diet than you did before. So that's like going backward, not forward. Kind of frustrating. Maybe you started an exercise program and you got injured somewhere along the way and you actually lost strength. You went backward, not forward. Maybe you made a commitment to get your finances under control and yet you wound up deeper in debt than you were before backward not forward maybe you made a decision to be more kind and loving to your family members but you lost your temper over something and said something that made a relationship even worse you went backward not forward that stinks when stuff like that happens it's so frustrating to feel like you're living life in reverse backward instead of forward but how did God's people get to this place that they were going backward and not forward and didn't even realize that they were going backward They've been brought out of Egypt and now they were two kingdoms rather than just one. And half of the kingdom, the northern portion, is already in exile. And the other half, Judah, is on the verge of losing their homeland. So what happened to cause this? Well, this initial season of Jeremiah's preaching or this initial season of Jeremiah's ministry in the first few chapters of the book that bear his name shows us exactly what was going on that caused the people to be going backward instead of forward. I'm going to jump around a little bit here in these first few chapters because Jeremiah just kind of gives a smattering of different things here and there, and then we're going to come back to like one big thing that he says as the cure from God that keeps us from going backward but going rather forward. So let me give you a few signs here that Jeremiah said were going on in his day and age that were signs of going the wrong way. Number one, uh, he pointed out they were going the wrong way because among God's people there was a rejection of God's word. That's sad, huh? Among God's very own people they had rejected God's word. Jeremiah chapter 8 starting at the end of verse 7. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. How can you claim we are wise, the law of the Lord is with us? In fact, the lying pen of scribes has produced falsehood. The wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and snared they've rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they really have? So God had given them his very word through Moses years ago, but by this time in history, they chose not to accept it as something important. And man, that's a dangerous, dangerous approach to life because the answers are in God's word. That's why we read it. That's why we study it. That's why we memorize it. That's why we apply it. Psalm 119 verse 105 says God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And in the New Testament in 2 Timothy 3, it says that all scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we might be equipped and complete for every good work. So these people were going backward, not forward, because they simply had rejected what God had said. That's out of date. That's out of touch. We don't, we don't follow that stuff anymore. But they were doing it to their own detriment. Secondly, they were also going the wrong way because of their acceptance of false gods and idols. Jeremiah chapter 2 is where Jeremiah points this out. He speaks God's word, and God's word says, God says, Has a nation ever exchanged its gods, small g, And God points out, but they were not gods, right? They were false gods. But has a nation ever rejected them when they said that those were who they were following? But God says, but yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. Be appalled at this, heavens. Be shocked and utterly desolated. This is the Lord's declaration. For my people have committed a double evil. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. That's what idols are. They're they're useless. They're they're not watertight, God is saying. Uh, They're they're not going to deliver you or be your sense of security. So idols in the Old Testament are are so deeply demonic. They, They come straight from the crafty work of Satan, and this is why God wanted them eradicated from the promised land when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, because Satan was behind those things to destroy lives and to do some horribly destructive things. Proof that this idol worship had satanic roots, people would sacrifice their children in the fire. Like, how depraved do you have to be, right, to think that if we burn an infant in the fire, then we're going to get help from some deity to make life better. Disgusting. They, w- they actually engaged in human trafficking. They had a whole stable in various cities throughout the land, both of Israel and, and Judah, a whole stable of like temple prostitutes, both male and female. Where do you think those people came from? Well, they captured them. They enslaved them to do these despicable things because they had this really warped view satanic view that if we fill in blank uh then you're going to get god's favor on your life right so the way to please these gods was to do utterly debased depraved and debauched practices truly harming and destroying lives God's the only true God. His ways lead to life and to blessing, and yet they had pushed those things aside. That's outdated. That's for the past. This is now. This is how we worship now. They were destroying their society. They were destroying people's lives, Um, and any time today we look to some other spirit being or anything to provide us some sense of security, we're absolutely doing the same thing they did, and we're going the 100% wrong way, and it impacted their society so negatively. That's how they went in reverse, not forward. Another sign they were heading the wrong way. They got caught up in materialism. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 10. From the least to the greatest, everyone is making profit dishonestly. So it just kind of stands to reason when there's a rejection of God's word, when there's a devotion to demonic practices of idol worship, it follows suit that there would then be a mistreatment of the poor and those in need. Materialistic selfishness and greed had taken root in their society. That's why Jesus teaches us to live generously and to be open-handed with what God has given us. Not only does this show trust in God's provision for our lives, but it also leads to a functional society where God provides and he cares for people in need through the ones that he's blessed. Jeremiah points out that they were a people heading the wrong way because in addition to all that, their prophets and their priests had failed. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30 and 31 An appalling, horrible thing has taken place in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own authority. My people, God says, love it like this. But what will you do at the end of it? What's going to be the end result of this? Well, it's not going to be good. Jeremiah chapter 8. End of verse 10 and 11, from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They've treated the brokenness of my dear people superficially, claiming peace, peace, when there is no peace. These religious leaders, they didn't want to deal with sin or admit that they were living in a society that was on the verge of collapse. They just soothed people's wounds. Everything's going to be okay you're okay, we're okay, our nation's okay. They didn't have any preachers that would say, thus saith the Lord, but instead they just said what itching ears wanted to hear. And that's why we today, it is so important that we insist that those who teach us, those who preach to us are speaking words of truth. Whether you're listening to a podcast, whether you're reading a book, whether you are following somebody that teaches, has videos on YouTube or or what have you, it is so important. Me, uh, our elders here, your Sunday school teacher, your life group leader, your youth leader, your children's leader. I mean, this is so vitally important. And we as believers have to insist that those who are teaching us are teaching what's true, or we get further down the road of going the wrong way rather than forward. God wants prophets today, just like back then, who will be courageous. He wants people to make sure that God's people don't go backwards. There's this thing going around today called progressive Christianity. I don't know if you've heard that phrase or whatever. It's just, it's kind of a way of saying the old stuff doesn't really apply anymore. And so since we're so much more well-informed today, we know that this is actually what the Bible says. And friends, this is splitting denominations around the country, and we even have people fleeing from mainline denominations because they're not being taught the truth. Uh, God help us if our preachers and our teachers and our church leaders are not coming back to what's actually in God's word. It's it's a sign of a society that will go backwards, not forward. And if all that wasn't enough, one final and sure sign this society was heading the wrong way is that they had completely lost all sense of shame. There was an utter lack of shame. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 12. Were they ashamed when they acted so detestably? (laughs) They weren't at all ashamed. They can no longer feel humiliation. Some translations read they don't even know how to blush. They've lost the ability even to blush over their sin. So in this society that Jeremiah lived in, sin was no big deal. Uh, I think it's kind of true of our day and age, too, that The news feed that I read uh, on my device had a really bad story this last week. There's a new new owner of the the Pornhub company, and his goal, it said in the article, was to make porn boring. In other words, his view is, I want it to be so common, so normal, so widespread in our society that no one bats an eye anymore. In other words, nothing to blush about, no humiliation, no shame. It's just normal. <laughs> My goodness, something that destroys the lives of the young women and men who participate in making it, as well as destroys the lives of the consumer. And we want that, according to him, to be boring because it's so normal that nobody even really talks about it anymore. Boy, shame on us if that's, if that's the society that we're headed toward. But all sin is deadly, not just that. All of it sent Jesus to the cross. When we have no shame, when we don't see the wrongness of our sin, absolutely we go backward and not forward. That's why we have to be quick to repent of any known sin and bring that to Jesus Himself so that He can be the one who covers that and for and forgives us of it. The book of First John tells us if we for worship on an upcoming Sunday morning. Check out our website at FCCWarsaw.com for more details and information. Again, that's FCCWarsaw.com.